Imagine growing up in the projects with no food to eat, your mama on crack, your daddy on heroin. You don't know whether or not your mama gonna come back so you gotta go to your grandmama house. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you're gonna live the next day because your best friend just got shot by a rival gang member. But out of that experience, it birthed resilience. Want to know the type of person that God really uses? The one who has really messed up. Welcome back to the Briskers podcast. Today, we welcome Myron Pierce. Myron's story is going to blow your mind. Myron has started Every Inner City, a network of inner city churches across the world. He's a pastor at Mission Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And whether you are facing what seems like the end, like Myron did, facing 15 to 30 years in prison, or you're aspiring to reach the entire world with the mission God has put on your heart, you are going to be blessed by this interview with Myron Pierce. So the big question is this, how do Jesus-loving entrepreneurs, pastors, and driven men and women of faith like us who are taking risks to pursue their kingdom calling, how do we get our mission, the problem we're working to solve, the pain we're striving to heal, how do we fully realize it here on earth? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Caleb Brakey, and welcome to the Riskers Podcast. Welcome, Myron, to the Riskers Podcast. I am stuck on this moment of you facing time in prison. You're, you're sitting yeah. there, you've got a couple calls and you're saying, I've made a big mistake and, and I'm going to be put in this prison for a long time. Man, brother, I don't think a lot of people can say that's where I started and, and, and here's where I am now. But at the same time, one of the themes of the Riskers podcast is this idea of biblical amnesia. The idea that we think, oh, that's God that's only that. uses those who yeah. have this flawless record. It's like, no, we kind of got that opposite. God right. likes to show off by yeah. taking us when we were at our lowest and using us to bring incredible glory to himself right. and blessing the world. So brother, can you take us to that moment? And then when God started to just grab your heart and begin you on a journey that I cannot wait for our audience to hear. Yeah, man. Thanks, bro. It, you know, when I think about it, um, you know, before COVID, I was fast tracking to um, talk. I was talking to some some producers uh, to to look at releasing a feature film um, because of like what God has done. Wow. And uh, we're we're still going to do it, um, but we're going to call it Hope Dealer. <laughs> and uh, the reason why that re- that resonates with me. Like you said, in the gospel, from beginning to end, there are those that were at their worst, and at their worst, God showed up with his best. And, and I think that marks um, the theme of my life as I'm, I'm sitting in a jail cell, six by eight jail cell, all concrete, at the end of my rope, didn't grow up in church, didn't like preachers. Um, the only time I went to church was a funeral. Um, the only thing I knew about church was that they wanted your money. <laughs> and yet, yeah, and yet through um, a series of events, specifically in that moment, 
Um, I can remember being on being on the telephone in that jail cell, and uh, like you said, I I called my my girlfriend and called my grandma, and after I figured out I, neither one of them could help me, I fell on my knees before God, and I I just kind of really looked up to heaven like that parable of the tax collector and and the Pharisee. I was that guy, right? on my knees, beating my chest. And I just, a, a one sentence prayer changed everything for me. And I, I just said, God, I'm destroying my life. But if you change me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. I'd been to prison before I was at, I was in prison at the age of 16, but I had finally reached rock bottom. And we all know that rock bottom is where God does his best work. And so after I prayed that prayer it was like open heart surgery felt like a new man. And, and that next day they sent me over to the, the, uh, the jail as I awaited to see, you know, a, a judge. But I tell you what, I had to get locked up to get free. And when I got locked up and got free, uh, that was the trajectory that I needed to be where I am today. And it's been absolutely amazing. Man. <laughs> I feel like we could stop the podcast now, locked up to get free. Incredible. We could unpack this till the day is long. <laughs> Brother, I mean, even just right here to the listeners right now, I, I think a lot of people associate risk with, oh, those are what, you know, the, the people who, uh, you know, make movies do, but that takes a, a special kind of someone. God does his best work. <laughs> With, with, with those of us who have reached the end of ourselves, and usually that only happens when we are at our worst. Brother, right. could you speak to just the fact that everyone listening right now, and it doesn't matter where you've been, where you're going, whether you have been raised, uh, gone to church every single day your whole life, or the thief on the cross, the last moment of your life, God sees you. God wants to use you. What do you tell people who say, Myron, I'm, I'm too washed. Like there's no way God's using me. I, I think what God often does, and we see this with Paul the apostle as he, as he's speaking to the church in Corinth. And one of the things he said was when we are at our lowest and I'm paraphrasing, when we are at our lowest, God comforts us. And then he, he went on to say that when others then are in need of that very same thing, God then mobilizes those who he has comforted to become the comforter. Mm -hmm. And my, my, my thing is this, as long as you have breath in your body, it's, conf it's confirmation that God is inviting us into a relationship with him where, where freedom is available, right? Because we know it's, it's never about um, what church you go to. It's never about how, how, how reputable you are in terms of good works, but it's always this. If God could take a risk to become a man, because he did, he, he God, God took a, a risk to become us because the reward scripture says for the joy set before him, that was the joy. That was the reward. The reward was the joy that we could be reconciled to God. And so regardless of whether or not you're a blue collar worker or in the top 1% economically when it comes to doing well off, or you are at the bottom gangbanger, murderer, rapist, the gospel is for all people everywhere, regardless of their background. And I think God did that. Um, as you mentioned, Jesus is in the middle 
of two thieves. We have the God man in the middle of two thieves symbolizing and inferring that I'm willing to get as close to you as I can to let you know that I love you um, incredibly and beyond words. Man, I, I love that question that, that, that comes to my mind. You became a new man. You said when, like when you were, when you were sent away and I, I almost got chills when you said that because the Holy spirit is that powerful. Could you walk us through those days of those early days of change for you when God was doing the open heart surgery? What did that look like? What was happening to your eyes? You know, your, your perspective was changing. Can you just take us into that? Yeah, I, I preface that with open heart surgery doesn't mean you get amnesia. Mm-hmm. Because when, when God does open heart surgery, then he has to invite us into a mind renewal journey. And for me, my thought processes had to be rewired. It's almost like, you know, you go into a house that had been occupied and, and it, you know, we're in the middle of a renovation right now. We, we have a what we, what we call hope houses and um, for people reentering into, into society. And right now that house is undergoing um, change, right? And, and people from all across the metro are, are being mobilized to, to help put on a new roof, to put in new plumbing, to, and that's, that's what God does. And that's what God had began to do with me um, in the area of my identity first. Like I had, to, I had to be rewired from, I'm a gangbanger, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a crip from the Hilltop Projects, to I'm a son. That rewiring takes time. I still remember the, the next day I went over to the county jail. Yes, my heart had changed, but who I thought I was had to continually be changed. I still remember there was a guy coming. He was a rival gang member, uh, older guy. I walk in the jail and, and, you know, and as soon as I get front and center, I have all my clothes with me, all the stuff they give you when you go in there. And the first thing he say to me is, where are you from? Well, that's, that's code for what side of the tracks are you on? Are you a crip? You a blood? Where are you? And then instantly, even after this hard transformation, I began to tell him I was from this area, this pocket of the city. What was God doing? God was confronting what I thought about myself. And he often does that when he wants to take you on a journey towards helping other people. And so, I, you know, so all along the way, I've had to rewire, rethink, renew when it comes to my identity. I love that. When I first started my entrepreneurial journey, I would take classes and try to educate myself. And I found myself always skipping the first couple of lessons. Why was that? Well, it's because I wanted to know what to do. And the first lessons were all about mindset and who I was. What a mistake that was and how far it set me back. Because the real work begins right here, right here. And I love the fact that you're talking about it being a process. You know, I think a lot of people hope that God's going to come in and you are going to be fill in the blank, amazing Christian you respect the next day. Like, no, (laughs) this is your own journey. And you know what? Today we're going to fix the sink. (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) maybe six months from now, we'll get the countertops figured out. Right, right. It's a process. Mm -hmm. So, Tell us more about this process for you from your time 
in prison to the day you're released. And then we'll, we'll continue moving forward from there. When I went to prison, it was the wilderness. I think every person has a wilderness that, that, that they'll eventually be in. And I think about Moses, right? Like, yeah, he was, he was a deliverer, but he first had to discover what kind of deliverer he was. And more importantly, he had to discover who God was. And so when I got to the penitentiary, it was an opportunity for me to do a deep dive into who am I, what do I believe, why am I, where am I going? All of these questions had to be answered before God would ever release me. Mm-hmm. One of the first things God wanted to really show me was that I, and now, now today I'd be able to say this, that my number one mission is a lot in life is to inspire hope in every person that I meet. But I had to go through a wilderness experience to figure out that that was, that was my why. So that, that was the number one thing God wanted to birth in me, my why. And that that he that that was tested every single time. It was tested when when the gang wars popped off in the prison, and I had to decide: was I God's son or was I a gang banger? Hmm. There were those pivotal moments that God had given me to make a choice to decide who I was going to be in that moment. Or the time when when I was coming back from the chow hall, and I hear some rumbling in the shower, and I look in the shower, and there's there's some guys beating up on this new dude who who came to the penitentiary. I had a choice then there. Do I, do I mind my own business, which is politics for prison, mind your own business, or do I step in because there's somebody who's, who's been subjugated to violence and I chose to step in regardless of the consequences. And those moments were pivotal because they helped shape who I was and who I am today. Um, I think about the time when I was coming back, it, one of the things that I started to do is get my education, became a, a legal aid in prison, helping people with, you know, small civil things. And, and I can remember coming back from my office. I had, a, I had an office in prison. It's pretty amazing. Um, I was coming back and I, you know, saw some guys, um, you know, messing around in one of my Christian brother's room. And I, you know, I just always seem to find myself in situations like that. You know, and, and, and I'm like, Hey, y'all get out of there, you know? And, and all of a sudden they look at me and, you know, say, Hey, we're coming after you. And, and, and to see the miracles that God did in those moments of the Guatemalan um, drug Lord who put a hit out on my life because I was watching out for one of my Christian brothers and to see how mysteriously or magically this guy ends up in a hole for my whole time where he's inaccessible to call any shots. Wow. And then the very same guy who said we were coming after you, I find myself serving him in the, in the law library. Right. (laughs) And so like God, like all of those moments where I've had, where I've had to make decisions that were not in my best interest to take the risk to stand up for, for somebody. God was also teaching me justice. He's teaching me that he cared. And and I'd like injustice to being what God cares about. And he cares about issues of, injustice so much that he's willing to use people who are imperfect to accomplish his plans. Man, I feel like I'm in church service, brother. And and what I love about <laughs> through through all of this is how much we're going back to who and whose, who you are, yeah. whose you are, who you are, whose you are. I mean, right. there's this identity and it's driving every action. And, and I imagine that's at the very root of how you're inspiring hope in people. You're reminding them, this isn't who you are. You know, God gave me a word before I got sentenced because I was facing 200 years in prison. 
And I'm going to tell you how the, how the word came. I was on the phone. I was in the county jail. I was awaiting sentencing. I was on the phone with somebody. And uh, I overheard some guys having a conversation about this guy who had gotten a life sentence. And somehow he became a Christ follower. The sentence was reversed and he was free. So I got off the phone and I said, hey, can you tell me more about this story? And they began to unpack this guy's story to me. And all of a sudden, as they were unpacking the story, the Holy Spirit whispered to me and he said, that's going to be you. So after spending months in jail, I hear a story about a guy who got his freedom or who got freed. And uh, and God spoke to me and said that was going to be you. And so I went to prison with a promise like like I didn't I didn't know how. I knew a couple things in, in the problem. You know, any problem you have, when you think about math, there are variables to the problem. And if you can figure out the variable, you can solve the problem. And one variable that I had is I knew who I was. I know whose I was. I just didn't know how God was going to free me. Right. And so seven months, I spent a whole seven months in prison. I was getting up every single day. I kept that story in the back of my mind. And I and I rehearsed the word that I had got from God that I'm going to get you out. I'm going to get you out of prison. You're going to start churches. You're going to pastor people. It's what I heard. Right. So for seven months, I got up and rehearsed that, reminded myself of the promises of God. And seven months later, I got a, a letter from the state of Nebraska. It was addressed to Myron Pierce, number five, five, zero, eight, nine, because every every prisoner has a number in prison. Uh, and, and this is what the state of Nebraska said. We just want to cordially inform you. According to LB365, you are now eligible for parole. Now, the catch was this. When I got sentenced to 14 or 30 years in prison, plus the prison time I wasn't done with previously, I, I leave the courtroom with 16 to 33 years in, in prison without parole. I'm 19 at the time. So I'm supposed to be in my late 30s by the time I get out. But seven months later, the law changed. And, and close to seven years later, I got out of prison. And so I think in the process of me figuring out who I was, whose I was, God was also proving to, to me that he's still the God of miracles. Mm -hmm. And and when everybody, everybody told me, friends, I had the warden walk up to me one day. I, I've had case managers tell me, we don't care what your sentencing structure is. You're getting out when we tell you when we tell you that you're getting out. And time and time again, I've seen God show uh, his sovereign hand, not because I'm anybody, but because he's everybody. Right. And he had a plan. He, he knew that I would be ministering to pimps, getting out of prison, spend 10 years in prison who needed a place to live. He knew that I would be rubbing shoulders with some of the most notorious gangbangers and killers in Omaha, Nebraska, who needed to hear the message of hope. He knew that I would be standing in front of mega, all white mega churches talking about how God is the God of comfort and, and churches that want to want to get involved in the inner city, but never had a place or a connection or a relationship to, to segue into the inner city. He knew that I was going to meet a white dude named Ron Dolchler who was trying to plant churches in North Omaha, but was praying a prayer that he would meet a black kid from the ghetto who could help him launch Bridge Church. It was the first church we launched three months after I got out of the penitentiary. And, you know, so one of the scriptures that I really love, man, is Romans 8, 28. And we know 
um, that God works all things to the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so one thing I've learned over the course of my short 37 years is that he is the God of purpose and that when he has one, there's nothing anyone can do about it. Before we go further, I want to take a quick break and tell you about the publishing expertise offered by Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book, where we help men and women of faith become powerfully positioned to impact lives by collaboratively writing their book and building their ministry platform. If you've longed to write your book and impact a broader audience, our team is here to help, even if you don't have the time or energy to write. We've helped riskers like you secure traditional book deals, hit numerous bestseller lists, keynote to 100,000 people in two years, and get featured on Entrepreneur on Fire, Forbes, and Inc. Schedule a free strategy call at www.calebrakey.com. Brother, your story could end there and it would make an incredible story for someone's life. You know, you think of the special forces and the training and the years and the investment that have to go into making these very special, very unique people in our military at the top of the top. I feel like what we've heard so far was God saying, Myron's the guy. I'm putting him through special forces. I'm going to put him through the ringer so that he is so ready to do some of the hardest work, the hardest tasks <laughs> once he's out. And you're going to have the credibility to talk to people who wouldn't talk to you if you hadn't gone through that. So right. brother, your story is just getting started. <laughs> now you yeah. are a free man. I can't wait to hear about churches planted, souls reached, and hope inspired through entrepreneurial endeavors that you're also working on. So take us to your walking out of prison. What about that yeah. moment? Well, the last year of prison, I was in community custody, which enabled me to go to college. So I went to a little, little private university, Grace University, got a major in business and biblical studies. And uh, so, so that last year I, I was able to spend, you know, get my education, working at the school as a janitor, I would get in there and clean those toilets. I called myself the minister of toilets, right? <laughs> I wanted people to have an incredible experience with God as they did their business. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, I took it I took it so like personal, like God would allow me to, to serve people by making sure that they experienced cleanliness when they went to the bathroom, right? <laughs> and so I'm walking out a year later. I meet the guy named Ron Dosler. He hires me uh, as the youth pastor. We launched three months from me getting out in the same neighborhood I was a gangbanger in. So geographically, geographically, I'm back in the same community, right? We launched, and all of a sudden, it goes crazy. I mean, LGBT, they're, they're coming. Gangbangers are coming. Dope dealers are coming. Businessmen are coming. I mean, an eclectic, you know, like group of people are experiencing the gospel, right? And so... Young people just started flocking to our church like crazy. And a couple, you know, like a couple years after that, the dude, Ron, my guy, Ron, he's like, hey, we want to I want to hand this church off to you and my son to, to co-lead it. And so we began co-leading Bridge Church right here in the hood. And it was beautiful. And and a couple years after that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, hey, I want you to go start a church in Colorado. I'd never been to Colorado. 
only knew one person from Colorado and that was John Bevere because I was reading his books. Right. And, and he's like, uh, you know, I want you to go. And by, by that time I was married, I went and talked to my wife. My wife was like, Hey, this is crazy, but I had a dream that we were leaving. And so, but here's the catch. Here's the catch to all this. I was a pastor on parole, so I can't even go to Colorado without permission. So what am I supposed to do there? So when God told me to go, I started meeting with people and started saying, hey, you want to go to Colorado and plant a church with me? And they're like, sure, I'll go to Colorado and plant a church. So we take all these young people um, and start meeting with them. I go down to my parole officer and I say, hey, uh, uh, God told me to go start a church in Colorado. Do you mind if I go? And my parole officer like laughed at me uncontrollably. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean you want to go start a church? Like, do you have a job in Colorado? And I'm like, well, yeah, pastor, you know, and he's like, well, do you have a place to stay? And I'm like, no. Well, do you have family there? No. It's like, well, no, you can't go. And I'm like, but God told me. And they're like, we don't care what God told you, you know. And they say, besides, Colorado has stipulations and you don't meet any of the criteria. And I say, well, what, well, what if you just sent them an email? Just send them an email. Just say, I want to come. I'll attach my bio, my one sentence bio, like to it, and and a couple of things we were doing in the inner city, and he and he laughed at me, and said yes. I think he just, I think he just wanted to like insult me, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, everybody who who was on our launch team ends up moving to Colorado. My wife and I are the only ones here still in Omaha, and they're calling, and they're like, "What in the world did you get us into?" And I'm like, just stay the course. I know what God said. Months later, I get a call from my parole officer. He's like, hey, you need to get down here right now. So I go down there. I walk through the door. He's beat red. He's like, I don't know who you are. Um, and I don't know where you come from. But you just need to know Colorado says you can come. You can come and start a church here. So God opens up this door. Wow. After that conversation, a house opens up where we, where we can live. I mean, every, everything happens. I get there within three months. We launch a church in Colorado Springs and we're off to the races. And a year and a half into that endeavor, we ran out of money. <laughs> My wife's looking at me and she's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, okay. So I go into my house. Um, I look around, there's a Kirby vacuum. There's a towel, there's some baking soda. There's a Dawn soap. There's some Dawn soap. Um, there's a, a, you know, there's a, a suit and tie. And so what do I do? I get in, I get in my suit and tie, go borrow a hundred dollars, start a business, start a detailing business, get up in my suit and tie, go down the street to a car dealer, say, Hey, my name is Myron Pierce. I'm the CEO of front range detailing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, I'd like to do business with you. And, uh, He's like, well, hey, do you have dealer tags? I'm like, I didn't even know what dealer tags were. My cousin had given me a job when I was 15 to keep me out the gang, so I knew how to detail cars. But I didn't know, you know, dealer tags. I didn't even know how to get those. So I just lied and said, yeah, I have dealer tags. I'll, I'll make sure I give you confirmation of that. Walked out, went and got dealer tags the next day. I was in business. A month later, I'm, I'm up to, I can't even keep up with the volume of cars, so I have to hire a guy. So what do I do? I hire a guy who had just got out of prison. And then after six months, there's so much volume. I can't keep bringing these cars to my house. Like, I'm bringing these cars to my house, man. And um, and we, get, we, we go insanely successful, and I'm like, we have to scale this thing, right? And so I made a phone call to a friend back home and said, hey, uh, how would you like to make a donation 
that kept growing every single time. You never have to give me another donation in your life. He's like, what do you mean? He said, I'm starting a social enterprise, helping guys who are getting out of prison, giving them a job, gives me 15,000. I opened up a storefront, four bays. We're running 30 cars a day, 13, 14 employees, insanely successful. And then after eight to 10 months after that, I thought, this God, this God thought, what if I could help change the economic landscape of inner city Colorado Springs by empowering entrepreneurs, by giving them the skills and tools that they need to be successful as entrepreneurs. And so we launched Thrive. The mayor got behind it, gave us a million dollars. And after that, God said, okay, now go back to Omaha. <laughs> so I handed, I handed everything over, the business, the church, uh, the nonprofit, and I come back to the same church that I left to help them go multi-site. In three months, we went from one campus to three. <laughs> We're thriving. It's going great. A couple of years after that, God says, okay, now plant another church in the inner city. And that's the church I'm at now. We launched three years ago. And to date, I think right in the middle of COVID, we, we were up to three churches in three years. Um, and then we were able to scale those churches by planting digital churches. Now we're up to like 20 or so. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what's been happening in terms of church planting. <laughs> Brother, I feel like I've been like, trying to swim in this ocean and like i'm like what this i'm like trying to get breath because your life story there is no like downtime there's no sitting in the sofa or turning on netflix we are going um what i love about this man is there's this someone someone quoted something to me the other day from a book there's just this idea of how you do anything is how you do everything and you started this part of your story by saying, I am cleaning bathrooms and I am doing it so well. And, and what's interesting is I, I, this just happened with my own father-in-law when I was talking about his new business venture and it's, and, and it's, it, it's big, it's got all this exciting stuff. And the only thing he could talk about was, oh, we're going to have the cleanest bathrooms. And, and that was the detail <laughs> he focused in on. And I thought it was right. so funny. But it, right. it makes so much sense. And the other, the other day, my wife and I were driving along the freeway and we saw a sign that said, it was advertising a business. It said clean bathrooms. on And I was like, <laughs> Hey, I get it. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. You, how you do anything is how you do yeah. everything. And man, throughout this story, all I see is I'm going to work hard because God said, this is what you're going to do. When an obstacle gets in the way, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. going to find a way I'm going to go work. I'm yeah. going to put on my suit and tie and become a CEO. <laughs> like yeah. I think a lot of people equate God's will to obstacles in our life. Right. Uh, the church ran out of money. I guess God's timing for this now is over. You know, he didn't yeah. provide this month. Therefore it's over. Well, there might be some truth to that sometimes, but I think God very clearly can say, whoa, whoa, whoa. obstacles don't mean yeah. no, it means grow. <laughs> you know, yes. you've, you, you've got to, you've got to grow <laughs> through this and yeah. you did that in so many ways and look at how it created a business, which created a, an idea, which created a million dollar investment, which created multiple jobs and entrepreneurial training for people. Brother, what an inspiration. It's crazy, bro. Cause like a couple of years ago, you know, even when we launched this church, like we didn't have a lot of money, you know, but we had a lot of guts, man, and a lot of grit and a lot of resilience. And a lot of people are looking at COVID 
like even this whole COVID thing in the black community, man, like this isn't the worst we've seen it. Imagine growing up in the projects with no food to eat, your mama on crack, your daddy on heroin. You don't know whether or not your mama going to come back. So you got to go to your grandmama house. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you're going to live the next day because your best friend just got shot by a rival gang member. Right. By the way, that's that's a true story. It's my story. But out of that experience, what it birthed resilience and what COVID has done is COVID has given us an opportunity to learn what it means to be resilient. A couple of years ago, when we launched Mission Church, I came outside my house and it was the money was falling from the sky like money. And when I tell this story, people are like, what the what in the world are you talking about? I called my friend and I said, this is the guy that I was in prison with is my roommate. And I said, man, you won't believe this, but money is falling from the sky. He like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, I've, I've never heard this before. Like, what are you smoking? And I say, listen, bro, it's hailing right now. You don't see the hail. It was a hailstorm. And he's like, I said, let's start a roofing company and let's use the profits for the church so that we can continue um, raising up entrepreneurs. We can continue helping people re-enter. We can continue bringing the community together to build trust. We can continue to invest in the next generation. And so we launched a roofing company. I had never, listen, I don't even like roofs, but what was driving me was opportunity. And so we launched this roofing company. He was a roofer. I wasn't. Comes a multi-million dollar company. Guys using that company to just do amazing things. And in the middle of that, I thought, man, we need to be able to market this company. So I, I dumped 25 grand into my education, right? To, to just learn marketing and digital marketing specifically. And, and that's taken off and it's given us the opportunity to hire people, given us, the, given us the opportunity to speak into the lives of people who maybe wouldn't have listened to me just by being a pastor. So like, I agree with you, man. It's like some things are birthed out of struggle, is birthed out of hard times. It's, I mean, look at Joseph. It, it, Joseph would not have been able to be the second most powerful leader in Egypt without going through something. That's right. Man, and it's interesting. <laughs> it, it's so hard not to see this as a movie, but we're talking about your life here. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, you've launched a, a network of churches planting in the inner cities. You've launched a network of uh, building entrepreneurship and others. What are some of your favorite stories that come to mind as the, the results coming out of these ministries that you are pouring into? Yeah, one of my favorite stories is uh, a white girl named Esther uh, who grew up in a West Omaha church, all white church, um, but has a heart for the community. And so I found her and I had met up one time and got to know her story. She got to know mine. And uh, months later, she became a part of our church. And she also happens to be a director of a of Child Evangelism Fellowship. And so we formed this partnership. She's now on our staff. And right now, there are about 30-something kids in the basement of our church learning about Jesus. Kids from all walks of life, Black, white, Latino, Asian, and they're learning about Jesus. And, and the cool thing about that is those kids are now taking their stories back to their parents and sharing what, what they're learning about Jesus. Another story I think about is my friend Amar, and I kind of alluded to him earlier, um, but Amar did penitentiary time you know, for some, for some pretty bad stuff. Amar got out about a year ago. I've been discipling Amar. Amar went through our entrepreneurship incubator. He's now married. He's now in one of our hope houses. 
He's now an entrepreneur. He owns AM Taste. It's a soul food catering company. He's now a church planter in training. And so like that's just so just so cool. I think about my friend BK. BK grew up in inner city, Kansas City. The only thing that kept him from getting killed was football. Had a small stint with the Kansas City Chiefs. Found himself back here in Omaha, not a Christian at all. Connects with our church, him and his wife. He ends up uh, coming one day. He's sitting in the balcony for months. One day I finally decided I'm tired of this guy just leaving real fast. So I cornered him and his wife after I got through preaching. Got to know him, grab some coffee with him, grab some lunch with him. And now today, uh, BK is number one um, in our church planting residency program. Number two, one of the ways that we plant churches is we first start business businesses before we start churches because we want to add value to the community. He's launching Alliance Sports Training, a, a premier training um, program for inner city kids right here in the heart of the ghetto. And, uh, and so like... I mean, I can go on and on and on and on about like just different stories like that. I think of Jay Crumb. Jay Crumb almost died when he was a kid due to a brain injury. Dad not in his life. Uh, grew up in the inner city. Crazy creative. But now he's a rapper. He's an artist. Um, and also he's a church planter. So he planted a church out of our church uh, about a year ago. And it's just just doing amazing things um, for the for the kingdom, man. And just so thankful. I think of my friend Ori, who I met uh, just a year ago when I was doing some consulting uh, in the South. And uh, same story, man, like, inner, you know, inner city, single kid, um, but just really connected with Ori. And over the last six months, we, you know, we've, I've been doing some coaching with him. And in the middle of all of this crazy COVID stuff, he launches a digital church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And, uh, and now he's reaching young people with the gospel, man. And so just an incredible time. And then the last story is the story of my wife um, and how I met my wife. I met my wife through um, by serving at this inner city um, ministry when I was still in work release. And uh, my wife's the one who introduced me to Ron Dosler, the guy who hired me. We planted the church. And uh, my wife is white. I'm black. And the thing that I love about that is in the middle of all of this racial tension, um, God is using our marriage as a, as a case study that black people and white people cannot just get along. We can actually live in harmony together. And, uh, and as a black man and a white woman, we're able to lead a multi-ethnic church. And, uh, and so I'm so thankful for her and her courage to lead uh, in the inner city with me. Um, and then also to take care of our beautiful babies. And I feel like <laughs> I feel like I watched this incredible orchestra in that moment when it finishes, and you're awestruck because God put on a show through these stories, all because a young man went to prison and went through the ringer. And look yeah. at what he has done through it. The stories, <laughs> the people, the churches, the businesses. Are you kidding me? God showing off. God showing off yeah. to Byron Pierce and Come all on, the man. lives that have been touched through this. Just absolutely incredible. Brother, I want to leave you with this. Risk is God's way of getting your attention for his purposes. Man, absolutely powerful. Okay, Myron, I know there's going to be people listening being like, my goodness. I got to learn more about Myron and what he's doing. And yeah. 
probably the billions of websites that are connected to everything <laughs> that you're doing here. Where in the world are people going to go to learn more about you, to learn more about the, the entrepreneurship, the church planting, the inner city, the, 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 the racial <laughs> reconciliation, that you, like everything. Where do people go to connect with you, brother? Oh, they could start with myrpeers.com. This has been such an honor and privilege for me to, to hear your story. And I just, I do, I feel like God has just shown himself off. Yeah, it's man. so strong. Praise God, I man. pray such blessings on your ministry and your mission. And it's just so awesome to, to uh, be able to connect with you, you know, yeah, from bro. many States away and see uh, just the power that God is working in Omaha right now. Uh, if mm-hmm. you're in the Omaha area, man, look up Myron and uh, brother, just thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Oh man. Thanks a lot, bro. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Riskers podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book, where we're on a mission to teach kingdom-minded men and women how to write, publish, and market best-selling books and build world-class platforms. To learn more, go to www.calebrakey.com.